Hi, this is Siri McKenzie. I've written a book, Complete Guide to the Enneagram, which is a modern approach on self-discovery and connecting well with others. This book is for anyone looking to unlock your potential for growth, success, and self-discovery while also understanding the people around you better. Go ahead and pre-order the book available in the show notes. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon Podcast. I am your host, Lana Mercedes. And I am Sierra McKenzie. Welcome back to the show, Sierra. I'm so excited to have you for the third time. We're getting some good stuff in here. Yeah, we are. Uh, We have a lot to cover today, so I want to jump right in. And I actually have my little cheat sheet here with all the types so that I can know what we're referencing every time and sound like I'm an actual like Enneagram expert as we go through this conversation. So I want to start off by asking you, what are healthy and unhealthy ways in which companies can utilize the Enneagram as well as other personality assessments? So we see all the like Myers-Briggs and and, like DISC assessments, right? So how can we utilize those? I love a good assessment, especially when we're talking about collaboration and team building and conflict resolution. And there are so many good ones. Like the first one I think of offhand is like the Gallup's Strength Finders. Um, Have you heard of that one? I have not. Ah, okay. I will send it to you because if you're okay. not familiar with Strength Finders, essentially you take this massive assessment and I think the first five are free or you may have to pay like 10 or $12 for them. But a lot of companies actually use this assessment because it's reports and they're built to maximize your potential. So you get your top five strengths. You talk with people about them. Um, and a lot of offices that I know of have like the top one or two strengths, maybe the top three in their office window. So You'll walk into a building and someone will be like influencer, maximizer, visionary on their wall, like next to their nameplate. Um, whereas like you'll go down the hall and someone will be like analytics, reporting, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they're not necessarily an um, academic one, but they're also basically just maximizing the company's potential, which is really special. Okay. Um, yeah. Also love the DISC test. And I think what's fun is that these can all be cross-referenced back and forth and correlated with the Enneagram, which just shows how much the Enneagram influences the workplace as well. So I think, again, it comes back to the original family relationships. And you can see kind of how everything correlates and builds on each other through here. Like we started at home, we ended up with – went to love and now we're, now we're at work, but it's still all kind of working its way backwards at the same time. Um, and basically I think a lot of it stems from how healthy your working environment is to begin with, you know? Mm-hmm. So the line that's towed between like manipulation and conflict resolution, is a fine line. We kind of touched on that a little bit before. Wonderful. Um, point. So yes. when you're working, oh my gosh, it can be <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So like, because when you're working with other people, you know, and you know, like what their strengths and their weaknesses are, their stresses and their trigger points, everyone in the office needs to be highly motivated to work together and not necessarily work individualistically. And that can be really difficult in a company that's um, corporate, for example, like you have your CEO and then you have your people underneath them or them, or then you have these people underneath them. And it's like more of a hierarchy. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you're working linearly, you have your everybody on the same team and then a manager. Like if you're working retailer, if you're working hospitality or something, like there's not necessarily as much of a hierarchy. But if some petty dramas pop up and pull some 
sitcom kind of saga and that spirals and it particularly having a bit more of a basis to somebody's life there needs right. to be some reining in and some conversations that need to be had in your office life um so there's that <laughs> okay but on the flip side I think that there's more benefit to using the Enneagram in a working environment and particularly when th- you're thinking about things like conflict resolution and team building because when you discuss mm-hmm. Enneagram types at work you open up the possibility for empathy and compassion and understanding towards each other um, maybe you understand why this person seems like they're always concerned about everything else or trying to do everybody else's task and it feels like they're micromanaging but then you're like oh, okay they just want it to be done right and well the first time so that they don't right. have to go back and redo it again right it gives you more empathy for someone um, a team that works well, like performs better, they have better communication skills, they enjoy more purpose-filled work. And I think when you have some purpose-filled work, you have a little bit better of a life-work balance, which can be such a thing that's it's just hard to pursue a life-work balance, especially in America, I think. Um, yes, definitely. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, definitely in America. Because we have this whole like work, 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 right? Like sleep when you die kind of mentality yeah. that's not healthy at all. It's not. And I think even when I first moved to Australia, it was wild because everybody here is extremely work-life balanced. Like, and even during lockdown, we were all working from home and my two of the girls that I live with would just open up their laptops 9am, sit at the table, like take their hour long lunch break, go for a walk, make their lunch at home, like take their time, mm-hmm. come back. Like, it's not like they weren't working. <laughs> right. Then come back 4.59, computers shut, they're done. Like, they're not going to answer any more emails. They have other things going on. And it's very interesting because that's just how the majority of – and they're both Enneagram 3s, which are actually really strong leadership-type roles. Yeah. So it was, like, really interesting being like, wow, even – yeah, because I think even America – They're achieving America, it all in that, in that eight-hour period. They don't need to do anything else. Well, and they, they got stressed, like, if things didn't get finished. But they were like, look, at the end of the day, it's just my job. It's not my life. I'm not going to be here for the next 25 years. And I think that even that mindset was so shocking to me as an Mm -hmm. American coming from like, like I started teaching music classes to like the local tiny elementary kids when I was like 15 years old, just because I was like, oh, like I have something to contribute. And then that really, like I've been working since then. And so it's been interesting, like being here and having everybody just be like, oh no, just take a chill day, take a mental health day. It's okay. And so the emphasis is on that. Um, So yeah, having a work-life balance is so important. And I hope that one day we can, we can all make it there. (laughs) Yeah. And incorporate that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I work with someone who, who asked me, you know, something was not the way it was supposed to be. And she was saying like, are you stressed out? Are you okay? Are you worried? I'm flustered over here. And I said, oh, you know me, like, I'm just chill, you know, because for me, I, I've worked so hard, like, and there, it's easier said than done in certain cases, you know, things might get you a little flustered because you're, maybe you have plans later and you want to, you want to actually make that work-life balance happen. So you're trying to make sure you get all these things done so that you can go live your life. But I have worked so hard to not get flustered in those circumstances of, you know, something just kind of derails an entire project where there's no sense in panicking, you know, or I have like some people that I work with that just over panic, like this one little typo and everyone, I get like 30 emails about it, you know? So I feel like that is also creating that, like that state of panic where Mm. having that is not going to change anything. Like we just need to make this change us all freaking out about it. It's not going to do us any good, anything that's going to cause more chaos and confusion. So 
I think it's just the con it, that I feel like that is an underlying reason of why we're always doing the like work, 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 because if something even seems too easy, it's like, no, we have to make it seem more complicated because if it's too easy, we're done. And then what do we do with our free time? It's like, we, we live with it. <laughs> that is what is so that is wild to me. And I love that you brought that up because <laughs> it's such a real place. You're, you're doing things, you're doing things, you're doing things. And I've had so many people just tell me, just chill out. And it's mm-hmm. not that I've even high strung about certain things. Like if there's a period lacking, like the inner grammar nerd in me is like, oh, okay. Like Same. I'll fix that later. And like, I notice it, but then it's not the end of the world. And I think mm-hmm. when there are some people that are so like, oh my gosh, like this needs to happen. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. That stresses me out more than anything else. And yeah. I'm like, everybody needs a chill pill. And yet I'm such a hustler too at the same time. Like right. I will be working six days a week and it's, it's tough. Like, especially when you're yeah. raised with the mindset of if you're not busy and oh man, do you know, do you know of Brene Brown? Yes. I have, you have her. Yeah. yeah. So even just her whole concept where she talks about vulnerability and how we're such a numbing culture, mm-hmm. I think about as a nine, it's so easy for me to be busy in order to not think about the things that I need to think about or yeah. dwell on things that I should probably be resolving in my head so that I can actually have that conversation and deal with this kind of thing, you know? Um, and so I think even staying busy and working all the time is such an aspect of, of numbing an addiction that we don't realize that we take on either. Yeah. Um, another, uh, person I'll plug, but have you, or people, have you heard of the minimalists? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I immediately thought because it's so much like you see it a lot in there. There's two documentaries in the first one, which they, they show it in both. The first one's very heavy on is like that instant gratification, right? So you see everyone mm-hmm. like Black Friday and Amazon, like they're going crazy and they see something they want. And they just like, let me just press a button, order it, two day shipping. And that's probably also a part of it is like people just let me do this thing. Let me do that thing. Never knowing how to relax. It's because we need the instant gratification. Like we just want to know it's done. And that's what's going to give us yeah. the peace. Or it's like, we can have both. We can still have peace and get this thing done a little bit later, get it done when we have the time instead of like panicking until it's finished. And I think yeah. it's probably a hard and- thing. As you said, if you grow up in that culture, it's so hard to kind of un unlearn like all that stuff because it's ingrained in us. That's how we're raised. That's what the culture is like thriving on right now. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. It's so interesting. Yeah. Oh man. And it's okay. not just that hard work doesn't get you places, but it's still the still the the whole mindset of yeah. how do you balance it out? How do you and and that creates a healthy workplace eventually. Yeah, because you also can't pour from an empty glass, right? Like if you're just drained, you there's only so much or how successful or like how fruitful your life can be if you have nothing inside. Yeah. You're like hollow at some point. Um, <laughs> so jumping over to. Um, roles as I know you mentioned like it says like analytics and the strength finders um kind of gave me this thought of just the types of roles that Enneagram types will the roles that Enneagram types will kind of go toward so are there leadership roles or like more social heavy roles that each type seems to go after or yeah definitely I think that offhand stereotypical threes and eights are the ones that you'll find in leadership roles um, whereas like stereotypical type twos, you'll find in more social roles. Cause they love hosting. They love taking care of people. Mm. Um, I'd say probably same with like, same with, I think most of them actually would fit into a good role. I think more than that, my mindset is that everyone is a leader. Um, maybe not in the traditional sense of the way that we yeah. think about it, but thinking outside of the normal point of thought, like 
everyone leads. And that's whether if you're leading yourself by getting out of bed in the morning, because sometimes that's difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or if you're leading it um, in your family or if you're leading a team of 500 people. And I think that um, enhancing leadership skills and capabilities is extremely important um, and being able to hone and grow those in other people. So if we don't give people or colleagues around us the opportunity to express themselves or grow in those skills without necessarily putting the pressure of leadership on them, I believe you could actually take an unhealthy workplace to a healthy workplace in a matter of months. And there are particular ways to enhance each type's leadership capabilities, um, particularly workplace, but I think even in overall health. So we could mm-hmm. go through a few of those if you if you want to. Yeah, I'm 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 so in for it. I you you reminded me of something that when you mentioned that they all could be leaders, which is probably just kind of feeding into this whole crossover we need to do with Enneagram and introversion, extroversion. But a lot of people <laughs> tend to like it's an extrovert's world, right? Like everyone will look mm-hmm. at an extrovert and think, okay, if they're social, like they would be the best to be in this leadership role. But there's like the, you know, bringing people together, like they can really hone in on that. But there's also the introversion side of like attention to detail and the self-awareness and like being able to focus, you know, so both aspects or both um, types bring in something different. It's just a matter of maybe what that company wants, but we're all, you know, we're not all going to be completely well-rounded individuals. Like there's going to be something that's lacking or something that's like our strength. But I think that's a great point to make is like not everyone can do it in their own individual way. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that I even struggle with in my world now is because I'm not the loudest person. Shocking. Like you probably would think something else just because we're having a one-on-one conversation. No, you know, it's everyone asks me because I'm an introvert. And then they always say people have this misconception that introverts are shy. And it's no, like I can be the, you know, I think we were talking about that on the last episode. Like we can be the life of the party, but then we're exhausted afterward. So when people hear I have a podcast, they tell me like, oh, I thought you were shy or, you know, you're, you're an introvert. How could you have a podcast? And it's for me, I I try to explain to them, I'm having a one-on-one conversation and I'd say half of my episodes, maybe like 30% are one-on-one conversations. And the other time it's solo episodes. So I'm just sitting in my living room talking to myself. You know, I'm not doing these live events. I'm not here talking to 50 people. It's not a round table completely. Like this is why I do this because I'm an introvert. (laughs) It's so funny what difference like talking to one person can make as opposed to like talking to a, I don't know, more than five or even being in a group of more than five. Right. But it does take such a huge, it can take a huge toll on you. I think even in, in your workplace, if you're feeling like you want to climb a social ladder, you want not even a social ladder, but if you want to climb like the working ladder, you're thriving on self-competition and things like that. And then you land in a place where the loudest person is considered more charismatic and so therefore more well-equipped for the job. And mm. I have experienced that a couple of times and I'm just like, I Same. would rather be me to the extent where I don't feel like I have to wear two different hats. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a bit tough because as, a, as we said, like I actually came from a very like acting background and I think that was such a fun, I, I loved it. I would probably go back to it eventually if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was such a huge deal for me is because I was able to like actually get into other people's shoes and empathize with whoever the character was. And so when I see people that are like naturally charismatic and naturally loud, I think my first inclination is to be like, oh, I can be like that. Like, Absolutely. But then I'm dead tired at the end of the day. Yes. Um, having learned that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I would rather stay the same 
person, consistent, be consistent, know that, look, if you want to talk to me about this, I'm here for you, I can figure it out with you, like, we'll bring it all together, it'll be great, but I can also be a bit of a boss over here, because wing eight, <laughs> um, and I've learned how to, like, hone that in, you know what I mean, um, that is also really helpful, and I think, again, knowing where your stresses and securities are, knowing, hey, look, I have access to being, um, a really strong person or have access to being a really soft person. And I actually really enjoy both those sides of me. That's mm -hmm. a really helpful tool, especially in the workplace, but also like in your love life and in your home life, like being able to say, Hey, look, like I want to create this beautiful dinner for you, but look, we're also going to have this conversation because we have some things we got to check off the list here. Um, it comes, it comes all the way. It comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah. When you yeah. said, you know, talking to one person versus talking to more than five, I instantly think of, and I don't even know if this is still a thing, but like people doing group interviews, you know, if you're yes. interviewing oh, like yeah. five, can't, you're not really getting to know them. They're number one going yeah. to be very reserved considering they're giving their answers with like four other candidates. And then also they have mm -hmm. limited time, you know, so you're not connecting the same as like a one-on-one -on -one at all. No, not at all. Not at all. It's kind of, yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we don't do those anymore. We might, <laughs> I haven't been right. one in a long time. <laughs> exactly. When I was like 19 years old, I was like, I you're an employer this. and you're listening. Stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you mentioned some conflict resolution, and I think this is totally on par with what I want to ask you next. And it's just, what are the strengths and weaknesses each type has when it comes to working together in a team? Great question. I love this question. Um, I think that this is where knowing each type is thoroughly beneficial to everyone. Like obviously okay. it's going to create some vulnerability in the workplace, um, which a lot of people aren't really comfortable with. Like some people are really content to go to the office, have that hat on for the day, leave the office, try to leave their work there as much as possible. Um, but there's certain things like be on time for work and meetings. If you're working for a type one or focusing on the details. And then if you're a type two, like don't because they've done it once before they're going to do it again. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So I think overall, if we're talking specifics, I think if we take conflict resolution from a type one's perspective, ones don't like conflict because it ingrains, it goes against the grain of their idea of right and wrong. So they prefer to not get into discussions about feelings, generally speaking. These are all generalizations. Right. Um, and they like more of a problem solving approach. And so having that predictability in a conversation with ones <clears throat> Actually, sorry, before we continue, so are we looking at um, maybe a supervisor role, uh, an employee role, or generally speaking, when we're going through these? I think these are more generally speaking. I would probably okay. talk about these like more of a colleague role um, okay. than anything else. Perfect. Yeah. So if you're like in the office with, let's say you're in an office with a type one and a type five and a type eight, something comes up. Type one is starting to get their feathers ruffled a little bit. And you know this because there's a trigger warning that we're all aware of because we're like, oh, Sam over here is a type one. Let's think about all these aspects of him. And again, this takes a healthy workplace environment to say, yeah. oh, Sam's got his feathers ruffled. Not being like, oh my gosh, Sam is getting stressed <laughs> in the corner. Yeah, right. Um, Messaging each other on the side about it and laughing. And, yeah. What is happening? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It takes a little bit, again, and that's the vulnerability aspect. It takes a little bit of bravery to say, okay, we need to have this conversation, be the one in the room to take the reins with it. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the scope that we're coming from. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay. 
So if we're talking from a type one, again, they prefer predictability in a conversation with conflict because then they can form their opinions easily and then they can focus on, they have, they have already formed their opinions at this point in time because they okay. have their right, wrong, good, bad, true, false, stereotypical mindset that they've yeah. put it all out into, you know? And this um, I'm guessing stems from how you said as the perfectionist, you want to get to that result and you don't want to take any shortcuts. And if you do, you're going to always know that, it, that, that shortcut was taken. Right. So that's where yeah. that right and wrong yeah. comes in. Okay. So I think when you're approaching one, it's all about taking a problem solving approach, providing some structure to the conversation. Hey, Sam, would love to talk to you about this, this, and this. So then the one is like, okay, cool. This is where my brain is at right now. Um, and then really a big deal, I think is letting the type one talk first. Um, non-judgmental language, non-judgmental body cues, and then allowing them to really think through their feelings before they express them. Um, and I've seen the difference between having a type one verbally express their feelings after having thought through them versus a type one who has to think on the fly. Um, the type one who has to think on the fly is a little bit more disconcerted, disoriented, kind of blindsided, and therefore you're already bad. You're bad on their bad side because right. you haven't given them the time to think about things maybe feels like you approach them out of the blue, et cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So on the other hand, if you're talking to a type two, um, twos are not going to say anything to you directly, usually, unless they're feeling a little bit more confrontational. And they could because they are connected to that eight. Um, but two's mindset is how can you be mad at me when I haven't done anything wrong, usually, because twos are all about loving um, – yeah. and making sure that everybody's feeling comfortable. And so when there's something that comes up that maybe they're not quite so comfortable with, they're like, wait a second, I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. I love you. Why is this in a workplace? They're going to show love regardless. Um, so I think when you're approaching a two in conflict, it's really important to let the two talk extensively, get all mm -hmm. their feelings on the table. I did this. Why didn't we feel this way about this? And then ask a lot of clarifying questions before you share your perspective because you don't want to make any assumptions about the two of you lost their loyalty. You've lost their good opinion of you perhaps. Um, and too many feelings will overwhelm a two. But a conversation that they deem too logical or too cerebral won't engage them or hold their attention for a long period of time. Um, and so it's really important to, to understand, like, when you're coming from, from that mindset, how do I best hit all the things that need to be hit without tapping too much into the emotions and without tapping too much into the cerebral aspect of things? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. But when you're talking about a three – and approaching a three-in conflict, these ones are the motivators. We've already talked about this. These are like yeah. the CEOs. These are the ones who are like head honcho sitting in the office. Um, mm -hmm. And so they really keep their cool when they're upset, but they can also be really highly irritable, highly abrupt, and that can really affect the entire office's working regime because everybody knows that this three is upset because of their tension. Um, Wait, so clarify for me. When you're saying they can keep their cool, but then they can – are you saying like they can keep their cool until something really sets them off? Then it's apparent to the office. They can be extremely passive aggressive without them meaning to be. 
Um, okay. So when I say keep their cool, they'll be like, oh, no, everything's great. Like, we're having a great time at lunch over here. And so-and-so didn't do their job this morning. <laughs> but like, Okay. You know so I they're mean? not <laughs> raging in their anger. They're very calm, but they're still expressing the anger just in a more passive-aggressive way. So like, you yes, know, it's there. they're just not yelling or anything like that. There's no yelling. It's just more of, um, you know, when you walk into a room and you can feel that something just happened. Yeah. So that's what you're going to feel okay. more often than not. Got it. Um, maybe something didn't just happen, but there's still going to be that tension where you're, Ooh, okay. How do I work with this? How do I fit into this? And that can, I think, create more issues in a workplace than anything else. Got it. Okay. So when you're approaching a three, it can be a bit intimidating. It's all about keeping your conversation really precise and concise and not using an emotional tone. Because once there is a trigger towards an emotional tone, the three immediately feels like they have an upper hand. Because even though they, they are in the feelings triad, um, threes are really good at not necessarily using their emotions in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so once the threes like more express themselves and feel that you've listened um, – and listening is a really big key thing for a three because it's a validation tone, then they'll be more open to hearing your point of view. So again, I think all of these very similarly say like, let the other person talk first. And that's so anti-cultural. We want to say our opinions, make everybody know how we feel. But I think even the fact that you're brave enough and courageous enough to say, hey, look, something's going on. Let's talk about it in the first place is enough for someone to say, okay, cool. You initiated it. My turn to talk. And then they can actually talk it out and then you can respond. So there is a certain order to things as well. Okay. Um, but then when you're talking about a four, fours are, fours need to be invited into the conflict. Um, they, they feel the conflict, but when you're conversing with them, there needs to be an invitation to express how they feel about something. So when you're in a workplace environment or an office environment or um, even a retail environment or something maybe more linear, then it's important for invited to express their feelings, say their feelings back to them, paraphrase them so that they understand and they feel like they've been heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, don't use it in a intense, such an intensely emotional tone that they feel like they can't respond to it. Because fours can have a little bit of a defense mechanism where they say things where they become more accusatory, maybe a little bit more blaming. Um, And this is one of those things where I think it's important for you to express, hey, I want you to feel blamed, so listen to me first without responding, and then we can have the conversation. So once they've said their feelings, say them back to them, offer a response, but also then remind them, look, I'm not blaming you for what happened. We just need to have this conversation because it'll going to become an emotional issue for them and they're going to feel shame about it more than it just being a work-related issue. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think one big thing when we're thinking about conflict resolution is that we have such an identity with our work. Um, Yeah. Especially as we were saying before in North America and I think learning how to detach from what we do and just say, hey, look, I'm not what I do. Like, it can be such a huge identity thing for us. I know for me, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this. Like, these are aspects of me, but they're not part of my personality at all. Yeah. And so learning how to separate who you are from what you do is really a releasing thing, really freeing eventually um, once you're able to do that. So I think the four is actually probably one of the best 
to be able to do that um, yeah. when they're allowed to. So I, I think that's really important because I tried to, you know, uh, explain that to other people and try to make sure I'm implementing that within myself as well. Like when it comes to work or even if it comes to people who might have, you know, an illness, it's like, you don't want to make that your identity, you know, because then you feel like when it comes to work, let's say you are a teacher and you make that your yeah. identity. And then say you lose your position as a teacher, then you feel like you don't know who you are anymore. You know, like that was your whole world. And if that's gone, it's like, who am I? We see that a lot when it comes to yeah. athletes, if they get an injury or they get dropped from their team and then they just don't know who they are anymore. Like that was what they identified as. And then when it comes 100%. to illness as well, I've had a couple of people on my podcast that were, um, that had cancer. And then they, they said they had to make that like intentional distinction between, like, this is something that I have, but I'm, I'm, this is me over here. It's not like I am a cancer patient. It's like, I am Lana and I just happen to have this thing. And it's not like who you are, you know? So I think that's, I think yeah. it's a really good point. Um, really something to note when it comes to the, the individualist as well, because I think it's a, a thing that we all should be able to incorporate, obviously, but I don't think people really recognize that until they're already out of that space like they don't realize like I should yeah. see my identity until they've already been let go from that position or until they're already in the mm -hmm. illness and they're trying to work backwards so that's why I like using phrases like I have depression versus I'm depressed because it just takes on they don't notice like the slightest word change can really change your dynamic on that situation absolutely well and I think for the same reason that's why I say like what type do you identify with not what type are you yeah, because it's the same thing. It's like you, some people can get very in their heads about certain things, like in any the enneagram. Mm -hmm. And I just want to reiterate over and over and over again, even if it's probably like the seventh time we talked about it. You're doing it. <laughs> it's so important <laughs> to separate yourself from your type. Like this is such a great tool. Utilize it. But when you walk up to someone and say, oh, what type are you? I'm a five or I'm a six or something like that. Mm -hmm. Automatically, you've roped yourself into all the all that encompasses that type. And yeah. it can turn into such a blaming thing from that point in time. Like, oh, well, I'm a type six. So why I don't I don't do that? Like, no, you're a type six. <laughs> right. You actually know that about yourself. So why wouldn't you take steps to yeah. heal that aspect of yourself or limiting. do better or you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's so limiting. Do better. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, exactly. Don't put yourself in a box. Um, and yeah, as you said, especially like when it comes to things like sickness and things like that, it's almost like you have to float out of your body a little bit yeah, and kind of observe what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. And like this person is this or not this person but this aspect of me is doing this this aspect of me is doing this yeah. recognizing that they're all parts of the same whole you're doing all these kinds of things you're feeling all these kinds of things your body might be struggling but you're still you beyond all of that yeah. and I think that's really it's a really special and important aspect of humanity and we're all like our biggest critics too so it's like guaranteed if you ask yeah. the people in your circle if you're seeing yourself a certain way like oh I'm just this person I just identify with this illness or whatever it is if you ask your people yeah. like in your in your close group they're gonna see you completely different you gotta like learn to see how other people see you in the positive ways of course you don't want to just take on whatever people however people see you but realizing that you're not just this one thing that is maybe affecting your life more than you want it to at the moment yeah and that's such a good point because when you see yourself how other people see you 
I think that gives you a lot more compassion and understanding to see other people in that same light of love and to express that to them a little bit more too. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody needs words of affirmation, even if it's not everybody's top love language, but just sitting with someone, being able to validate them and say, hey, like, love this part of you. I think it really opens up their scope and it really opens up our scope. And I think, honestly, all of us could use it more in our lives Mm -hmm. Um, because I know when someone's like, oh, like, this is amazing. I love that you said this. I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that. Thank you. It means that much more because we don't receive that in our daily lives. Mm -mm. If if you do, you're a blessed person. (laughs) You're really lucky. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I think get on board and then remember that about ourselves and think, oh, okay, how can I contribute that to somebody else's life? That's, that can be such a massive approach to building relationships with people better too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. So great, great digression there. I loved that conversation. (laughs) Um, I'm glad we can both do that together. We can both go on tangents. Yay. It's such a good, it's such an organic conversation. Yeah, definitely keep it real um when you're approaching a five like a type five it's really important because remember fives can have this withdrawn stance so it's important to them that you let them know in advance that you want to talk and then allow them to allow them to be the ones to select what the time and place is for Mm -hmm. the discussion you give them the discussion with a clear time frame say okay i need 20 minutes of your day talk about this 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 Um, and then you're going to allow the five to share their thoughts and feelings first, give them all the physical space they need. Probably not a good meeting (laughs) to go into just be like, Oh, hello. Not that you would never do that. You would ever do that in the first place, but you know, just be very professional. Um, and then keep everything, keep all the emotions really low intensity so that the five doesn't really feel emotionally overwhelmed. Because remember fives again are in the middle or they're in the thinking triad. And so when you overload them with emotions, they're immediately like, wait a second, what, what's going on here? Why does right. this, why does it feel like something I can't control? Because emotions are one of those things that the five can't control in another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to be able to safeguard them and still be able to have the conversations necessary. Okay. Whereas when you're approaching a six, sixes I'm will want so intrigued when we get into the sixes. Okay. Yeah, why? (laughs) I just, I think because in the beginning, I wasn't fully grasping the whole like skeptic and loyalist thing. So now that I got it, I'm just like, let's see what what they're all about now. Now that I fully understand like why they're the skeptic, it's, it's a, it's a very intriguing type for me. It's such a good point. I hate, yeah, I feel like the sixes were the ones I could never understand thoroughly until Mm -hmm. recently. And now I'm like, oh yeah. So when you get it, right, you're like, okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because there are two halves. You have, like, the phobic and the counterphobic that we kind of talked about before that, like, adds into the loyalist and the skeptic, and that changes everything. Right. So the six will want to withdraw in the middle of whatever conflict is happening because they want to protect themselves. Um, And so the six's process to receiving conflict is going to feel unfair, blaming everybody around them. Um, but there is likely to be truth underneath their interpretations, but because they are such deep thinkers, it could have just taken them quite a while to get there. And so therefore they're like, they're going to start from that point, from the inner core part of this is why this is the way this is. Now let's talk about it. And for the person who's initiating maybe the conflict resolution, it's going to be really difficult for them to understand why that's not a blaming thing. Cause they're going to say, wait a second, that's not what I intended. And the six is going to say, Absolutely. 
It might not be what you intended, but this is why I came to this conclusion based on this, 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 and this, because they've probably been stewing on it for a little bit without actually expressing it. Yeah. So I think it's important for you to allow the six to really share everything, um, validate their perspective, be really honest, really genuine, because the six will pick up on that immediately if you're not genuine. And honestly, they go through, as I said before, they go through like a really big contact and withdrawal cycle. And that's related to conversations about conflict. So on the one hand, they may want a great deal of contact and intense um, interactions Mm-hmm. And then suddenly need to withdraw from you and the discussion entirely in order to actually care about the relationship outside of the work. Um, okay. So that's that. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, the type seven, just checking out my little note here. So the type I seven. I think of your mom now when you say type seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she is the most fun she is the most fun, but then she also has that wing eight. And so it can be a little bit overwhelming at times, not going to lie. Where <laughs> I might be reversed. I got to figure out the, the wing aspect. I don't know if I'm an eight wing seven with like with your mom or a wing nine in your direction. So you could use both of them, honestly. At and the we same talked time. about that before. No, not at the same time. You have the dominant one, but you dominant, can use right? both of them. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You never. I, I could have been it's a wing fun. nine on our last episode. And I can be wing seven right now. It, you totally could be. Depends yeah. on how your day is going, how you're feeling right now, yeah. how you're approaching everything. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so when you're approaching a seven, draw out this draw. Wow. <clears throat> when you're approaching a seven, it's important to draw it. out the seven's line of reasoning. Thank you. Um, and then communicate how the seven is feeling back to them. So similar to the four, it's all about, okay, this is how you think about it. Let me repeat this back to you to make sure we've clarified it and then validating their experience in the conflict. So non-accusatory, non-judgmental, very open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. And then making it really non-intrusive again. Sevens are going to take a great deal of time before they initiate anything. They don't want to deal with conflict. Remember, they're the ones who are like, I don't want to deal with pain. I don't need to deal with hurt. I want to just keep going um, and do that specifically so that they don't have to deal with it. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's a seven. Okay. Type eight conflict resolution. Here you are. I am. (laughs) A lot of people think that type eights enjoy conflict. Would you say that that's true? No. I um, am a type eight folks. You don't enjoy conflict. Yeah, I um, I think we mentioned it on the last episode of the one prior, but I try to avoid conflict as much as I possibly can unless mm-hmm. it's just a repetitive, like I feel like I'm being taken advantage of or um, I'll try to at least e- express my feelings towards something in a certain way where I'm giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe they're not seeing this as, you know, affecting my work or if we're talking about relationships or anything like that. So I try to avoid it by all means, unless I feel like, okay, this is getting out of hand now. And I either want to approach the situation so that I don't like finally lose it or have this conversation of like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling here because it's also not fair for me to kind of like create these like stories of like, they're doing something intentionally. They're not even aware that they're doing it. So conflict is definitely not what I want for me. It's more like clearing up misunderstandings is where I might where I see myself. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Because I think so many people, 
have this stereotypical misunderstanding of eights. And we talked about eights being one of the most misunderstood numbers in the beginning or types in the beginning. And it's so important, I think, to note that eights engage in conflict, as you said, because you know that it's necessary. And know that if they hold on to the anger or hold on to anything else, it's going to more implode and then create an explosion. Whereas, like, if it's just confronted in the first place, um, even after one or two or three times, it's so much more easy. But when you engage in conflict, I feel like it's much easier for to have someone who's on the other end who can stand up for themselves, who's not necessarily weak or intimidated. Um, because if it's intimidating, it's a lot less easier for bait, generally speaking, to trust that person. Because they're like, if you can't handle me, how am I supposed to trust you to handle this? Mm-hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. As a type eight? Yeah. So I think when you're approaching eight, what are your thoughts? What do you think? If you're, if you're being approached in conflict, how would you appreciate to be approached? How would, how would you appreciate someone initiating conflict with you? You know, it's funny because when you mentioned, I believe you said it was the, actually, I think you said it was the one who said, like, I want to talk about this, this, and this, right? Yes. Which automatically, yeah, which automatically made me think of partners when they say like, I hate getting a text that just says, can we talk? Like, what are we talking about? And they just, they're like, well, what do we discuss? Like they're, they're all, you know, in a panic. Um, I think it might depend on the situation, I find that in relationships, I want to have a face-to-face. And if it's not in person, like let's do FaceTime. Um, If that's not an option, let's do the phone. Like as close to in person as we can get. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that in work situations, because you have to be a little bit more careful with the words that you use, you know, I might prefer Mm -hmm. to do it over email. And I think that's also because that's more of like my introvert side comes out. So I'd rather just say like, you know, here is exactly how I'm feeling. So I can like review it and make sure it's getting across to that person because we have a different type. We have a working relationship. It's not a personal relationship. Right. Um, Yes. Yeah. But I think like understanding because I always try to approach something if I'm the one bringing a conversation forward of seeing the other person's point of view I usually have at least one person that I can kind of go to to make sure that I'm you know seeing things clearly because I love like the friends around me are not yes people like I have friends around me that are going to tell me if they think I'm wrong or you know this other person was completely right I think you need to see it from this point of view so I think because I want to provide that to people I want them to provide that to me as well like not just assume they know why I'm doing something but genuinely asking the question of like what was the intention here I think the intention is everything amazing Thank you. No, thanks for sharing with the class because (laughs) it's such a huge difference. Well, I think even hearing it from an eight themselves Mm -hmm. makes such a massive difference. People want to know why everybody does what they do, but then we're also so wrapped up in our own individualism and why we do the things that we do. Um, It's important to understand that it's all about the intensity. Something that you said that really stuck out to me was that you actually surround yourself with people who are gonna be straight straight up with you yeah and that is a class of eight because you trust them you know like it's not like you're thinking okay so-and-so's being a little bit funny today like I wonder something behind my back you don't have time for that nobody has time for that you really don't have time for that and it can it can bother you sometimes you know hearing the the straightforwardness can sometimes affect you but that's what you need especially if you want to resolve conflict yeah yes exactly so it's all about being direct being honest 
listening to the intensity and then also making sure that you're not using blaming language in a conflict, I think, especially in the workplace. Um, yeah. Because if you're going to blame eight, it's not the person to blame. Like they will, <laughs> they will set you straight on that. <laughs> I will say it's funny because I'm like the, the typical phrase of like, I come with the facts because I automatically think when someone, you know, say mm-hmm. someone says like, oh, well, you didn't send me this. I am not the person who's going to just respond and say, like, go off on a tangent and say I did. I don't want to go off on a tangent anyway, but before I respond to you, I'm going to make sure I've done my work because I'm not going to just go off saying like, oh, yes, I sent you this. I'm going to go look through my emails to make sure, because if I'm wrong, I will let you, I will admit that I'm wrong. But if I know I sent it, I'm going to say, oh, no, like see the attached email, you know, because that's where like the blaming is not helping. We just want to get to the resolution here. Like, how did this thing get done and how do or whatever? And how do we fix it? There's no need to point fingers. We all make mistakes, but it's taking that accountability. Like you said, like knowing that we're coming into the conversation, like we can all own whatever we did here. No one needs to blame or anything. Just be honest with ourselves. That's what I need. Yes. (laughs) That's what an eight needs. (laughs) There we go. Generally speaking. If anybody know, now we know. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Throughout this entire series, I'm feeling so, so like understood here because I, I wondered if that was a thing. So hearing you say like, yes, eights are very misunderstood makes me feel more understood. Good. That is the goal. (laughs) I love that. I love that. If we could all have a little bit more understanding for everybody in the world, yeah. I will have done my job. <laughs> <laughs> Give great people. Uh, yeah, it's such a big deal. Yeah. I think when you're approaching a nine, as a nine, nines are not conflict driven. We can actually get pretty passive aggressive. And honestly, when people are upset with me, I can get a little bit surprised because similar to a two, I'm like, I can agree with everybody. I'm typically externally less judgmental um, than most types and people don't get angry with me too often. But when a nine, when I'm not part of the conflict, I'm immediately like, what is going on? So I'm going to ask about someone's anger in a kind, in a simple way and just in a very indirect way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think for a lot of nines, expressing anger directly is a challenge. So if they express any anger, affirming that a nine did was angry is a really big deal because even if you don't think it's justified when you're saying, okay, like I see you're angry, the nine is immediately validated in that. Like, yes, we've gotten to a point where I'm feeling upset enough to actually have this conversation with you. Such a rare thing because nines are not necessarily, they they would prefer to pretend that nothing happened um, for long extended periods of time. But then there's that buildup and it's not healthy. Um, And so I think even just encouraging a nine consistently to express themselves and talk about what they're feeling in the moment or what their thoughts are in the moment or even just being like, okay, cool. Like so-and-so, what do you think about this aspect of this project that we're working on? That is really validating. And um, I think when you're approaching a nine in conflict, making sure that you're sharing the alternative perspectives or how you're feeling in a way that still validates the nine's feelings is a really big deal. Um, Yeah. And making sure that there is no interruptions I think having interruptions as a nine is one of those things where I'm like, okay, but are you actually listening to the things that I'm saying? Because it takes a lot of vulnerability for a nine to actually step out of the box and say, I don't agree with you. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like, I remember reading, it might've been, it might've been in the road back to you, which is a really wonderful Enneagram source. Um, 
but I remember reading somewhere that there is a specific thing with nines when they're in conflict. People think it's another conversation and the nine feels like it's World War III, um, especially mm. if it's something that they're not ready to deal with. And it's such a valid thing because someone can be having an argument that's completely displaced from me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I feel the tension. I need to go over there and fix things. I don't really want to go there. Like, I don't want to talk to them. And are they going to be okay afterwards? Like, how do I? Yeah. It's an interesting trail of emotions. And if you're not healthy, you don't know how to rein that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when you're in conflict, it is absolutely important to express Express yourself, um, listen, give good feedback, be Mm -hmm. honest, and then move along. Because if you're going to sit there and dwell on it, that's not going to work for anybody, especially an I. Yeah. So So you you fully relate to this. Mm, Yeah. I think I've gotten to a place where I'm not overly concerned with conflict anymore. And I think I've honestly never been extremely concerned with conflict because of my attachment to wing eight. It's been really helpful. Um, because I think when I notice my wing one coming out a little bit more, I can I can be a little bit more like, hee, 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 how, how do I fix this kind of vibes? But then when I'm over at wing eight, I'm a lot more justice oriented. I speak my mind really well. Like my parents put me in speech and debate when I was a kid um, because they wanted me to learn how to argue well. Um, or in Toastmasters, we learn how to communicate well. And I think it was one of the best things that happened to me because I hated it while it was happening. But... I also have no problem with saying, hey, I don't really appreciate how you said this. Like, let's fix that. Why do you feel condescending? Why does this feel passive aggressive? Let's sort it out. Because I'd rather, again, have everything on the surface and know where everybody stands as opposed to tiptoeing around and wondering if this person is saying this and thinking about that. Because it's just too much time. It's too much much mental capacity. Mental gymnastics, right? That you're like trying to make sure. Yeah, and nobody has time for that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Is happening in the physical. I don't need to be thinking about the mental capacity yeah. of everything. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, I think a good place to actually wrap um, is if there are certain types that tend to gravitate toward certain professions. And again, this is generally yeah. speaking, but yeah. yeah. So generally speaking, I think the type one they're going to gravitate towards a lot of detail-oriented jobs. So you're going to have the managers, um, executive something or other, the attorneys, the lawyers, like very meticulous. They're detail-oriented. Doctors. You probably want a lawyer. Doctors. Yeah. Doctors, definitely. Okay. You do not want to be under a type 7 on the operating table. <laughs> Let me put it. Like the type 1 is going to say, oh, look, we missed a stitch here, and they're going to do it. Whereas the type seven is just not necessarily, these are all stereotypes, but you know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want someone who's <laughs> like, ah, it's okay. We can leave it. Let's go to brunch or something. Yeah. I get you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And type ones, like you're not going to find them in like, they're not going to be the kindergarten teacher. That's way too much chaos for them. You yeah. Know? Whereas like the two, on the other hand, like they will be the kindergarten teachers. They will be the therapists and the publicists and the advice columnists like they they are those people but they will not be the editor or the tax auditor or the college admissions agent you know what I mean like they're gonna care for people for them well um especially I think on the psychologist and counselor and 
therapist and teacher side of things. Mm. Like you'll find a lot of twos working in childcare. You'll find a lot of twos teaching just because they love to love. So yeah. maybe the two is working with the one, right? Like we got a one doctor and like a two nurse. Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, that's a really good point. You'll find them in very similar scenarios with that mm-hmm. because their jobs do kind of go hand in hand side by side, but they're completely different. Right. Yeah. Okay. I already know what the three is, but let's go for it. <laughs> yes, we do. So the three's dream job would probably be like an attorney, a, some kind of sports agent, like entertainment, literary, um, something that's like front and center, you know, yeah. you also have like the performance, like a lot of, um, I have a friend who's obsessed with Taylor Swift and she is a three. Um, like you'll have the, a lot of the performers in our world, a lot of the actors in our world, definitely mm-hmm. threes, but mm-hmm. a threes nightmare job would probably be any self-employment situation that are more about free form career growth. They want that clear advancement in life. So whether that's winning an award, like moving on, like they want to climb the ladder. You know, I can, I imagine that that could be a real estate agent depending on their mm-hmm. like viewpoint when it comes to real estate, because I think we both yeah. mentioned, like we've also done real estate in the past, but then there's some realtors that I know, like really thrive on like the awards and like the, you know, the ones that we might see like on TV, you know? So depending on what that yes. avenue is, some, some want to help people like find their homes and some of them want to show that they're linked to the like big fancy homes. It just kind of depends on what avenue you're looking at. Yes, exactly. I'm yeah. thinking of um, that show selling right now. Yes. What is it? Everybody selling sunset on Netflix. Have you heard that one? No. Heard of that one? Uh-uh. You should watch it. It's quite dramatic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's quite dramatic, but it's also like, it's very interesting. And I think primarily because the real estate background where it's yeah. like, Ooh, this is like real estate, but petty to a certain level where I'm like, this is uncomfortable and I would hate being in this situation, but it, <laughs> it's not happening to me. It's also like, you know, all TV drama anyways. So right. Like, oh, you know what? Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, a good job for a type four would probably be they could be a really good therapist, but they might take on the emotions of their clients pretty quickly, mm. pretty easily. Okay. Um, they're the more free flowing kind of vibe. So they're the designer, artists, and the hairstylists, and the creative writing aspect, and the yoga instructor. But you wouldn't find them in a police officing such police office situation. You wouldn't find them as a lawyer. You wouldn't want to, they wouldn't be a stockbroker. Like nothing administrative is probably, it's just a nightmare for them. Um, again, all stereotypes, you could have a four with a really strong five wing who's an amazing engineer, but you probably wouldn't find a type four right out of the gate, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, type five, the investigator, anything. Investigative? Tech, you could also, They're a PI. You could <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they're the researchers, they're the analysts, they are the PIs. Like you could find them doing that kind of thing. Scientists, managers, anything that's detail oriented, anything that kind of lets them get into their heads with the analytics. Love that kind of stuff. So the analytics would is probably what kind of draw them away from being like the same professions as maybe a one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause ones don't mind the analytics, like ones like data, but they don't love data. Whereas fives are like, this is why this works this way. Yeah. The research. And okay. About it. They're the researchers. Mm-hmm. Oh, which is why you also they mentioned are. tech. I'm thinking like software engineers and okay. Yes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, they would die away from any kind of job where people regularly tear you apart over things that isn't your job to begin with because Got it. they, don't, yeah. 
Um, Which I'm sure all of them do, but the the five is probably more so. (laughs) The the five is like, leave me alone. I've got this, this, and this to do. That's it. Yeah. You know, they don't want to do, yeah, they don't want to have anything to do with this aspect of things and this aspect of things if they're supposed to be focusing on this aspect of things because yeah. this is their job doesn't mean they're not going to go out of their way five definitely need their own office job. like no like no shared like workspace put them in their own office yes they want their <laughs> own office they want the company there to sit there <laughs> uh yeah if you move over to the type six they are the analysts, the college professors, the comedians, the activists, anything. There's a lot of famous comedians that are six wing sevens because they can be a bit like self-deprecating, but in humor, they, they hook people in. Um, yeah. So because they can, they can create really funny situations out of a compulsive need to worry, um, which I think is really funny. Like um, what's his name? Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah. Yes. It's funny. I've actually had maybe like, three episodes ago and then also maybe like six episodes ago I've had other guests also reference him oh that's so I funny I can't remember the other one right now but if you've heard any of the episodes with Jen Tardy she also mentions Sebastian it's hilarious okay I have to yeah. go listen to those he I have a theory that he's probably a hardcore six wing seven because okay. he has all these things that come up in his talks mm-hmm but then he makes them hilarious. And I'm like, that is a six thing because you're turning a positive spin on you can't help and you can't control because your brain is going to be thinking about this for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's laugh about it because it's laughable. There are yeah. a lot of comedians that kind of just sit in that pocket, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when you move over to the seven, the seven's dream jobs, anything that's on the go. So they're going to be like the cruise ship they're going to be on a cruise ship. I don't know. Like, that's just the thing I can picture immediately for a second. Maybe not now. <laughs> yeah. Could be before. Yeah. Um, they're the travel writers, the bartenders, the actors, the photographers, the music publicists, the life coaches, the business owners, the fashion blogger, like you name it. They've probably What about like pilot, stewardess, like that type of uh Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Potentially. It could be something that's a little bit more on the slightly like we do this every day kind of thing, mm. but then it okay. would be whether like where they go outweighs the cons of that. Um, mm. Yeah. They, they wouldn't want to be an accountant. They wouldn't want to be a lawyer. They wouldn't want to do anything that maintains a very consistent. I don't want to be day. an accountant either. Maybe that's my wing. <laughs> oh, God forbid. <laughs> I think I would be bored. Out of my yeah. Numbers are not my thing. We need them, but I don't want to uh, be one. Hundred percent. That is the big thing. Everybody needs everybody else, and mm. everybody else. We're all different for a reason, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, type eight dream jobs. Correct me if I'm wrong. Strategists. That's a really big point of. It's just a point of strength for eight. They're great at strategy. Um, politicians, real estate agents. Actually, there's a lot of agents in real estate that are type eights or developers. Um, advertising executives, marketing executives, head of pretty much anything. Um, not even necessarily because they like the control aspect of it, but because they're like, oh, this is mine. I can take ownership of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and they have room for growth. So it's not like you're going to sell one house and that's the end of it. It's more like you're going to sell one house and then you're going to have something in the back of your head. That's like, huh, I wonder if I can sell next time. And what am I going to do? That's going to attract the clients to me more so than what this person down the street is going to do to attract the clients to them. Does that yeah. make sense? Well, 
Um, I mean, <laughs> politics don't interest me in the least bit, but I'm thinking like, no, I have I'm- always had, I have always been in the marketing realm. And mm-hmm. I think of like this podcast, for example, I think that's like, this is my, where I kind of implement my strategy, you know, because it's, I, I know the type of guests that I would want on this show. Like, um, it's not about just bringing on like celebrities, but it's like people that have a story to tell or people that have an expertise in something, you know? So that aspect, because I know I'm looking at my audience as those that want to hear things, just like the type of podcast I listen to, you know, I'm looking to have takeaways. So in that aspect, I use the strategy and I also do things in marketing. So I would, I mean, yes, obviously there's going to be some, it's, it's a generalization, but I think I, I get the, I get the path. I'm, I'm curious yes. to see what the, what the peacemaker is like to see, it's helping me figure out what my wing is. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that the one thing that you said too is, um, um, where was I going with that? There's something that you said in there that was really interesting to me where you were like, you would be, it's more of a freelance kind of aspect, I think, of things. Because um, mm-hmm. aides don't necessarily need to be the head of the company. They don't necessarily care to be the head of the company. Like, yes, yeah. that's a great hook, things like that. But it's that whole don't necessarily to be in control, just don't want to be controlled aspect that keeps things freelance, yeah. lets them kind of march to the beat of their own drum. Yeah, because again, so I would relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like and the, the podcast, like I said, or like the marketing, like I do uh, creative consulting. It's like my thing, you know. So I yeah, I totally thing. agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get to be the one to call the shots, which makes the difference. Because technically, I think you could stick <clears throat> you could stick an eight in any role, and they would thrive. Not any role, they would probably hate doing something like teaching. Um, but you could stick an eight in any role, and just so long as they have it's their thing, and it's. Mm-hmm they have ownership over it, they're going to thrive in that and they're going to make it the best that it could possibly be. Yeah, because I, exactly, like I don't need the control aspect, but I think for, and this this is where the strategy comes into play, I don't need the control, but if I have a vision for something, if it's not going to be the way I intended for it to be, then the strategy is then messed up. So it's kind of like when I work with like a creative client and it's like, well, this is what I envisioned. And if there's like five different steps and you want to change three of them, I can't promise you we're going to get the same result. Exactly. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Very well expressed. Mm-hmm. Type nines, jobs. They're, now remember, these are the optimists. So they want to take out the best in people, bring out the best in people. So these are the nonprofit directors, the social workers, the creative coaches, mm. I think more like the therapist HR people. Um, okay. Would not want to be an attorney, would not want to be anything in investment or anything that like requires being aggressive to antagonizing others. I remember even working in a cafe um, when I was way younger and like having to tell patrons like, Hey, we're closing. Like that was such a huge deal to me. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I know you've been here for three and a half hours already and had one cup yeah. of coffee, but you gotta get out because we're closing. <laughs> like that was such a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think for nines, definitely more of the creative coaches, writers, teachers, um, like nonprofit group leader kind of, kind of aspect of things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks Sierra. This is a really good welcome. insight. Like I think hearing the roles, it actually really y'all, you know, like ties in, ties together. 
because then you can, Mm. you can picture the type, you know, like as we talk about home or we talk about love, like we're discussing how these types kind of work within each other. But then when we, and that probably goes back to the same like American culture thing, but once you're actually giving like a generalization on what these types might do professionally, you can really picture them, I guess, because we just see everybody working all the time. I hate that that is or or my mind went because I don't want to be in that like, you know, work mode all the time, but it kind of helps me paint a picture also like knowing some people like if they express their types to me and like where they fall on that scale. So I think that's really neat. No, and it's really good too, because like we've just been talking about this the whole time, but now you actually have a little bit of a picture in your head of like, yeah. oh, okay, so type two nurse, you know, maybe. And so that's like, it gives you an added layer of where everybody on the spectrum as well. It doesn't yeah. mean that sometimes they're not going to, you know, go off, go off the, you know, jump off the boat. What am I saying? Off the rails. <laughs> really? I'm on my first cup of coffee. Um, it's not like one type is not going to go off the rails and, and yeah. choose to do something completely out of left field because yeah. some types would do that just, just for kicks, you know, and some people are ingrained differently. And then we have all those subtypes that we talked about last episode, but it does help the to have a bit of a gauge on everybody lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, see, so now when we go into next week, you'll be back with me to discuss play and I can kind of pretend I'm a little bit of an, of an expert and I'll be able to have a, a nice picture painted of what each one of these types is like. But thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about work. And I'm sure there's a lot of great takeaways that the audience had in this episode, along with all the other episodes. Thank you so much for having me and expert because you're contributing to this. So we appreciate you Love so it. much. <laughs> Thanks, Sierra.